One heart, one voice, O children of the earth, rejoice. What a great reminder we had in that song that it doesn't matter if you're in the U.S., Canada, Brazil, China, um, Australia, Indonesia, wherever you are as part of the Church of Christ, we have a kindred spirit, we have a, a, a likeness, we have a bond that comes through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Uh, what a great reminder it is that someday we will all be gathered together in one place, and that place, of course, is called heaven, and we will worship our great God together. Um, that's kind of encouraging uh, and, and exciting and, and re- a great reminder of who uh, we are in Christ, all related without uh, culture being an issue or without a nation being an issue. We simply will all be in heaven together. All right, well, take your copy of the scriptures. I'm already in Ephesians chapter 5, so if you want to meet me there, that will be a good thing. Um, And we're thinking this morning about continuing this worthy walk. Now, I need to start off with this kind of disclaimer, okay? Um, We're getting into a passage of scripture where some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor, now you're starting to meddle, okay? You're starting to stick your nose where it doesn't belong, okay? And you can think that, that's all right. Um, but please understand that I'm not giving you my opinion on the text. Last week I gave you my opinion, okay? And I'll, I will throw that right out there and let you know that my take on Ephesians 5, 18 with the Holy Spirit is my opinion. There are a lot of other people that hold to that and believe that is exactly what Scripture teaches. Um, and if you go back throughout church history, you'll find that that is the case. It's not something new that the pastor invented. It's, it's a valid, um, actual, reliable, um, and, and proper understanding and interpretation of the Scripture in that text. All right? And this, this morning, though, um, we're going to get into a, a, a part of Scripture that, you know, is, is very clear-cut, okay? Um, and, and God wants us to live our lives this, this way. If we are um, engaging in a worthy walk, if we want our walk to be worthy of the calling with which God has called us, then it has to be true in all aspects of our life, okay? And um, the, the topic that we're going to get into this morning is, is the home, marriage and what does that look like before God okay and I've, I, I'm glad that God has given us a clear-cut picture of what marriage should look like in the home okay and and you know what God's grace is so good for us and such a blessing that no matter where you find yourself in the spectrum of marriage and home and all of that kind of stuff God's grace is able to see you through Okay, and I'm not calling for anybody to change anything as far as their marital status or anything like that. I'm simply going to point out for us this morning through the text what God says about marriage and what it should look like. And can I also tell you this? As, as good as your marriage may be, none of us have a perfect marriage. Okay, And, and, and if you think that you do, be careful because there's always room for us to grow in our marriage relationship, okay? And also, let me tell you, right from the get-go, don't tune me out. Oh, pastor, I might as well get up and leave, because you're not talking to me this morning. 
You don't know what tomorrow or next month or next year holds in store. So let's, let's stick together this morning and have a great understanding. And you know what the other thing is? You might not know that somebody would come up to you in the very near future and say, hey, you know, I, I'm really struggling in this area and I know that you're not where I am, but maybe you have some information. You can point me in a direction and God could use you in somebody else's life because you know what God's word says about that. Okay, so our title this morning is A Worthy Walk in Marriage, and we're continuing down this path of walking worthy of the call to which we have been called by none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we start this morning, I'm going to start with a question. What is the longest, the oldest, and most important institution in the world today that was established by God himself? Marriage, or we could take that just a little bit further and say the family, okay? The family, the home is the longest established institution, organization, whatever label you want to put on. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, if you go all the way back to Genesis, you'll see that God created everything there was, and on the sixth day, he created man, and one of the tasks he gave to man was to name all of the animals. So every one of the animals that God created passed before man. And God made a statement after that act was all done. He said, and there was not found a helper suitable for Adam. And now, that wasn't a surprise to God. God knew that that would happen. And I think maybe God did that so Adam would know that among all of the created animals, there was not someone, something suitable to help him in all aspects of life. Now, sure, if you need a, a, an animal to kind of corral another group of animals, yeah, there's an animal for that. And if you need something for this or for that, there's an animal for that. But you know what was lacking? That concept of companionship, love, the ability to reproduce, which is very important, okay? Um, if, if you can't reproduce as a group, guess what happens? It dies out. It dies out, okay? And that's why God created husband and wife, man and wife, okay? So that they could procreate, so that they could continue on the, the nation that God, or the people group that God has started. So I think it's safe for us to say that we cannot overstate the importance of the family, and would you agree with me that the family is under attack in our world today and has been for generations? Satan is trying to destroy the family. If Satan, he feels that if he can come up with an alternative that is acceptable to the majority, to the family, then the, then, then the world will begin to cease to exist. And, and we've got that in our world today. If we stop and we think about it, we don't have to think very hard about it. We think about alternate lifestyles and alternate choices. That's all designed to break down the family because Satan knows that if families are strong, then the, the, the fabric of society is stronger. When families are weak, the fabric of society is very, very delicate. You understand that, right? I mean, none of us go to work in um, silk, dressed completely in silk, right? 
because it's a very delicate fabric. If you, if you, especially if you're in, a, in a, an environment where you're working hard and you're moving around all the time and you're, you're exposed to different elements and uh, you don't, just don't wear that kind of stuff. You wear something that's heavier, better construction, better materials so that you, if you rub up against something or something comes close to your body and hits your body, it's not going to break, your body's not going to get beat up, all that kind of stuff, Right? We understand the, the, the makeup of fabric and how important that is. If the, if the fabric of society, the family, is strong, then society is much stronger. We have to go all the way back to Genesis to see the groundwork that God lays. And, and we're going to do that this morning. And we're going to start off. Uh, just keep your finger in Ephesians. If you want to go to Genesis chapter 2, you can. I'm going to read it for you. Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 25, where God lays the groundwork for the family. Moses wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said this. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field, But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. Isn't that amazing? When God causes something, guess what happens? The result that God wants is the outwork of that causing. God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and the wife were not ashamed. That's the beginning of of the family. That's the first family. That's the foundation, if you will, of the family. So there's a couple of things that I think we can learn from this very first teaching on the family. First of all, we see that God brought the woman to Adam. Okay? God brought the woman to Adam. It's important to wait for God to bring the right one to you. Now, that doesn't mean you can't take steps to find the right one and all that kind of stuff. But if we're patient, if we're willing to wait, God will bring the right one to you. Adam went through all the other animals, every one of them, and nothing was found suitable for, God, for Adam. So God brought him what God wanted for him. God brought to him a woman who was absolutely 100% what Adam needed. God brought it. And can I tell you this? I believe that God still brings together those he wants together. If we're patient, if we're willing to wait, um, God will bring those individuals together. And I think many of you would sit here this morning and say, I agree with that. I agree 100% with that. I, I may have done this that kind of slowed that process down, or I might have done this to try to hurry up that process. But you know what? God, in his Wisdom and in his sovereignty brought us together for his honor and for his glory. The second thing I want us to point out, I want us to see here, is that God made a woman and brought her to the man. The media is a buzz right now and has been for years about what marriage is. Okay, I typed in, believe, I, I, 
I won't go too far down this road. But I typed in last night, because I was looking for a specific thing. I didn't find it, so I ended up making my own. Um, of of a, a picture, a flow chart, if you will, of what a Christian marriage should look like. Okay? And you know what I came, you know what some of the things I saw on the, in my Google search was? Christian gay marriages. Can I tell you something? There is nothing Christian about that. It flies in the very face of what God says marriage should be. God brought to man a woman. And, you know, we all know people who don't believe that that is the only way, God's way, God's ordained way. We all know people like that. I'm not trying to tell you that you need to treat them poorly or anything like that. You need to love them. You need to pray for them. You need to befriend them. You need to ask God to give you the opportunity to communicate truth to them. Because if that were the only situation we find ourselves in in the world today, the human race would end in one generation. As much as people want to say, oh, it's their choice. It can't be right. I remember several years ago I heard a man talking on the radio Christian radio, and he said that that is not an alternate lifestyle. It is a death style. What does he mean it's a death style? He went on to explain and say, if man and women, God made man and woman for the very specific reason to be able to procreate. Two women can't do that. Two men can't do that. Has to be God's way. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So we need to pray, we need to love on, we need to encourage individuals to see God's way. Any, other, anything other than God's way, and, and can I tell you this, it's not just the idea that you know, a man and a man or a woman and a woman can get together now. We have, I mean, have you filled out an official form lately? Man, Male, female, other. Choose not to, or other. I mean, our world is so crazy today with what they think is alternate or different. We need to get back to the Bible. And we need to live, you and I as Christians need to live according to God's word. Enough said. Another principle that we see in this text here in Genesis is that a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This idea of being joined, it literally means to cling to. It has the idea of becoming one flesh and inseparable. Okay, you can't separate them. If I, and you all know I like to work with wood, all right? So if you take two pieces of wood... And let me add this, two pieces of wood that are the same kind of wood, like two pieces of oak, or two pieces of pine, or two pieces of maple. You can take other pieces, you can take a piece of oak, and you can take a piece of maple, and you can glue them together. It's a pretty strong bond, but it's not inseparable. If you take, and you know why that is, because... The grains in the wood don't match up and the wood dries at different rates and all of that kind of... There's, there's a lot of reasons why when you laminate wood together, you want to try and make sure that you're laminating the same kinds of wood together. Okay, 
So if you take two pieces of, uh, well, in fact, you guys have some of the things that I've made, and it's two pieces laminated together, uh, and you glue them together, you clamp them together, you let the glue set, you let the glue dry, um, and, and overnight usually is what I do, and then you take the clamps off, and you know what? That wooded, that two pieces of wood that are laminated together, very, 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 very unlikely to come apart on its own. Very, very unlikely that even if you try to force that bond to break, it's probably not going to break at the bond. It's probably going to break someplace else. It's inseparable. God's desire, God's plan is for man and woman to be inseparable until death. You know, in the, you know the old traditional wedding vows, till death do us part. You see, nothing but death should break the bond of marriage. You say, Pastor, I'm in a situation where the marriage bond was broken and now I'm with somebody else. Keep it that way, okay? Can I just tell you that? Keep it that way. That now, that now is what your command from God is. Don't let this bond break. Do everything that's within your power to maintain the bond, the relationship that you are in, and don't seek anything else. You don't have to look very hard today to see that virtually every part of the groundwork that God has established is being shaken, is under attack. Satan is out to destroy the family. He wants to break the family down. He loves it when he can especially break down a Christian family. You know, when I was growing up, my mom and dad got divorced when I was three years old. So I went through life with just a mom. And I was abnormal in school. Most people, most of my classmates had a mom and a dad. Just the way life was. And, and, you know, who's your dad? I don't have a dad. What? Yeah, my dad lives in Niagara Falls. That, was, that wasn't the norm back then. Unfortunately, today, and I'm not going to tell you how many years later that is, today, not having a dad in the home is way too normal. And, and you know what? Studies have shown, even non-Christian studies have shown that when there's not a dad in the home, the home is very, very unstable. It's broken. It's not right. And and Satan is happy with that. Because when homes are broken and families are broken, society is damaged. And society doesn't operate as well as it could. Paul is going to give some instructions here in Ephesians chapter 5 about the family. He wants the Ephesian believers to understand that if you're going to walk worthy of the walk that you've been called to, we need to walk worthy in our marriage the way God expects marriage to be. Now, remember the three aspects of the worthy walk. We talked about it the last two weeks. We walk in love, we walk in the light, and and the last thing we looked at was we walk in the learning of the Word of God. The Scriptures as they are being taught and as we understand them and as the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom, we walk in light of the learning of the Word of God. The family is a great way to demonstrate this idea of walking in love and walking in light, and walking in light of the learning from God's Word. Our families 
need to grow together, need to be based on the teachings of the Word of God. We want to be living the way God would have us to live, and if we're living controlled by the Word of God and by, can I say it, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in your heart, your spirit is controlled by that, those things, you are going to walk in your family as God would have you to walk in the family life. Paul moves into yet another practical area for Christian living. And it's an area that some may consider to be very private. And as we've been establishing this morning, it is that area of the husband-wife relationship. Paul wants the Ephesian believers and you and I to know that this is what God expects within the family. This is what God wants for both parties in a marriage relationship. Okay, this is what God says your marriage, every one of us, this is what our marriages should look like. So we're going to start by reading together Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. That is up on the screen, is it not, Levi? All right, let's stand together as we read from the screen. Ephesians 5. 22 through 32. Think about this as we're reading it. Just don't, don't just whip through it without giving it any thought, but let's think as we read together. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, don't turn me off. Okay? That's God's word. We just read something that society said, Bleh. what are you talking about? Submit. Don't stop listening. Don't stop reading. Let's continue on. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones." For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of, his, of you in particular love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you for your word. Father, we often say around here that the word of God is our authority for faith and practice. 
Father, that's not only true in the church setting, it's also true in life. Every one of us should be allowing the Word of God to be the sole authority for how we do life according to your desires. Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us insight, that you would help us to understand what this text says this morning and how it impacts each one of us that are here today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You go ahead and be seated if you would, please. So here we go. We're going to start off with the walk of the wife. Verses 22 through 24. How does the wife walk in relation to what the Word of God teaches us? Let's remember that there are two parties in any relationship, okay? And Paul is going to talk to both parties. So women, don't sit here this morning and say, oh, he's just preaching at me. No, I'm not going to preach just at you. I'm going to preach at the men too in a little bit. And guess what? That includes me, okay? So we're going to listen And guys, don't tune me off till we get to point number two, because there's some things here in this walk for your wife that you can help her with. You can assist her in her walk, and the same is true when we get to the men and the husbands and how they're supposed to walk. If we know what God expects from both parties, it's better for us as we move forward in life. So... Both parties, we're going to address both parties this morning. Wives, we start off with them. Paul says, wives are to, shh, listen, submit. Okay? Wives are to submit to their husbands. And you might say, okay, you can stop there. But he goes on. Did you catch the last part of that verse? In everything. Really? It's 2024. Does Paul know what he's talking about? Some people will say, this is a good argument that the Bible is not relevant for today. Can I tell you? The Bible is so relevant for today. So relevant. Okay? You say, Pastor, you're, you're a man, so it's easy for you to say that. Wives, submit to your husbands. It's not a popular topic today. I get that. But it's something that we need to teach. Why? Because it's something that God wants us to practice. It's something that God wants us to do as his children. First, let me explain to you what this word submit is, okay? The general understanding of submission usually in our world today and has been for many, many years, it has a negative connotation, doesn't it? I have to do what somebody else says I have to do. Well, I was looking up this word in my thesaurus. Okay? I, that's one of the most popular tools that I have. Okay? That's how I come up with all the same letters to start the word. All right, Secrets out of the bag, right? But here, when I looked up this word submit in the thesaurus, here's the, here's the words that came up under, that, under the similar words. Succumb. Surrender. Concede. Capitulate. Now, if we're honest, those are not necessarily words that we want to have as part of what we do or who we are. They're under ordinary circumstances, people that are capitulating are generally not happy people. People who are surrendering their own authority are not necessarily happy people. People who have had to succumb to something else, an outside force greater than what they have at their disposal, are probably not 
happy at the moment. Okay? Those are what we think of when we think of the word submit. There are a couple key things to help us realize what this word actually means from God's perspective. What is Paul talking about? This passage of Scripture has given Paul a bad reputation or a bad rap throughout church history. People call Paul a male chauvinist. People call Paul, he's a bigot. He's a, that's the way people... Paul was a man of God. Paul loved God. Paul served God. Paul loved the people that God entrusted to his care. If you do a study of Paul's life, you will find out that Paul was very, 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 very far from anything that would be a male chauvinist. In the list of people that he says he appreciates, most of them, well, maybe not most of them, a lot of them are women. He's thankful for how God has used them in the ministry and how they allowed God to use them. That's not the voice, that's not the opinion of a male chauvinist. Paul appreciates women for who they are. So don't give Paul a bad rap. Paul didn't say that. God did. God said it. And I think by the time we get done with our study, we might understand that Paul didn't mean what people think he meant. Paul didn't mean those negative things. And if, 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 a, if a lady can understand that, their marriage life is so much better. Let's work through it, okay? First of all, let's ask a couple of questions here. Who is to submit? Okay? E- easy question, right? Who is to submit? Paul says, wives are to submit. This means each individual person who is a wife. If you are a wife, you are to submit. Now, please hang with me. We're going to talk about what that means. Right? So, who is to submit? Who does the wife... Well, wives are to submit, right? Who does the wife submit to? This is helpful. Okay? Vani, you don't submit to me. Who do you submit to? Okay, and who else? Your sweetheart. Okay, Mary, you don't submit to me other than under the role of the fact that I'm the pastor. Okay, but your calling in your life is to submit to Harold, Karen, to Dave, and so on and so on. I'm not going to go through the whole room and name everybody. But a wife is to submit to her own husband. It's very clear in the text. This is not a general call for all women to submit to every man. It's not what God intended when he wrote these words. It's specific that each wife submits herself to her own husband. Now, let's get into the meat of it. What does it mean to submit? All the definitions indicate that there is a placing oneself under authority of another. Okay? You place yourself under the authority of another. You subject or you obey another. Listen to this explanation. And in our context, it's wives submitting to their own husband. Here's an explanation from Strong's. The word submit is a Greek military term meaning to arrange a troop's division, for example, in a military fashion under the command of a leader. Can you think of this in a military setting? A military, a commander, and in those days you had command over 50 or 100 people. 
Remember Cornelius, the Italian band, the Italian cohort? Okay, there, were, there were 50 to 100 people under Cornelius' command. Can you imagine? They're getting ready to go into battle. And, and Cornelius begins to give instruction and to give um, the, the purpose, the goal, the end, the end result or the hope that they're going to accomplish as they go into this phase of military exercise. And you got five guys going this direction, five guys going to another direction, five guys sitting down, and, and you got guys saying, you're nuts, I'm not going to listen to you. What would be the result of their endeavor? Failure. Chaos. So those men who have joined the Italian band are willingly placing themselves under authority. They might, not, they might say, well, we didn't know it was going to be Cornelius when we signed up. Well, too bad, you signed up. Okay? So you're willingly placing yourself under the leader's authority for a purpose to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. To hopefully lead to a successful military campaign. All right? In a non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. Can I tell you this? There is no hint of weakness or inequality in this command. Do you think Cornelius would want weak soldiers in his command under his authority? No, he wants the strongest. He wants the best. He wants those who are able to carry out what their duties are on the battlefield. Ladies, Paul, nor the Holy Spirit are in any way indicating that you are any less of an individual because you place yourself under the authority of your husband. And when you're placed on, like, these men who are in Cornelius's authority, cohort or band of soldiers you know what Cornelius is responsible for their well-being and their protection why is he responsible because they've placed themselves under his authority so wives when you place yourself under the authority of your husband he is responsible for your well-being for your protection there is nothing bad, negative, mean, or otherwise intended by this command to submit to your husband. The next phrase is also very important. It's another question. How does the wife submit to her husband? Well, the end of verse 22 says, As to the Lord. As to the Lord. In other words, just like the wife would and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that most of our wives here this morning who love Jesus are willing to place themselves under the authority of Jesus Christ. Want to do that because they want to grow in their relationship with the Lord. They want to be all that God wants them to be. They want to become better in their walk with the Lord. So Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So just the same way that you will submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, you should submit to your husband. That's the way you do it. Jesus Christ is the one who laid his life down on the line so that we could have salvation. And the little wives are sitting here now and saying, well, my husband never did that for me. You know what? He probably would if called to do so. If he had to. He would probably lay down his life 
for you. Well, how do I know that? Just look at your life. Look at the things your husband does for you. And husband, if you're not doing those things, you should start. But we'll get to that, right? It's not only on the women this morning. We're going to cover that as well. As to the Lord. Now, pastor, you're saying, Paul writes this in Ephesians. Is there any place else that God talks about this? Yeah, so we're going to look at the support for submission, okay? This is not my opinion. This is not my thought. This is not something that I want to force on you. I'm simply telling you what God says, okay? It's important to realize that Paul's not simply being the chauvinist that he has been accused of being. He is not indicating that women are inferior just because they are women, which is what a lot of people who are in the anti-submit position will say. Paul's not that way. Simply put, Paul is setting up a flow chart, if you will. Verse 23 sets up this chart for us. Verse 23 says, Christ is at the top of the chart. Can you find that chart? Is that the next slide? So here's the, here's the slide. Here's the flow chart, if you will. Jesus Christ is at the top. He's the head. Okay? The next in line, the next person who answers to Jesus, who is supposed to take on responsibility for everything underneath him, is the husband. He doesn't take the responsibility that Jesus has, right? He can't save his wife. He can't, you know, do all the things that Jesus does for the wife. But he's responsible for the next step down. All the things that the husband can do for the wife, he needs to do those things. And then underneath that comes the wife. Okay? The wife is third in the flow chart. And can I tell you this? This isn't the end of the flow chart. It's the end of it for this morning. Okay? But the wife has certain responsibilities as well. In the home, in, in, the, in the family life, she has certain responsibilities. So all that Paul is doing is setting up a flow chart that has been inspired by God. Can I ask you a question? In your work life, is there a flow chart? I mean, maybe, maybe nobody's written up a physical flow chart and posted it on the wall someplace. But is there a chain of command at your workplace? Absolutely. There has to be. Because if there isn't, what's the problem? Nothing gets done. You don't, you're not a profitable company. And eventually you shut down because you're not getting anything done. Because you're always fighting about who's doing what and what's happening and why isn't so-and-so doing this and that. A flowchart simply puts everything in order so you can be more effective in accomplishing what you need to accomplish. This is the flowchart for the family. The husband submits to Jesus, submits to Jesus. You can use that word. There's nothing wrong with that word. As the wife submits to the husband. Okay? And as, as Christians, you and I should not do anything to circumvent the chain of authority. God wants us to be submitting into that chain. God has made man head over the wife. Man doesn't make his wife subservient to him or in a place where she should submit. That's a command from God. God has set it up that way. This is a line in Paul's teaching over in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 11. We read this. But I want you to know 
that the head of every man is Christ. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians, yeah, he's talking that way because that's who he is. He's talking that way because the Holy Spirit has directed him to say these things. I want you to know the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Wait a minute. Jesus has to submit too? Yep. Does that tell you something? The word submit is not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. What did Jesus say? I have come to do the will of him who sent me. I've come to do my Father's will. So what is he doing? He's submitting to the will of the Father. That's what he's doing. And just as Jesus submits to the will of the Father, the husband submits to the will of Jesus, and the wife submits to the will of the husband. And let's go on and take it to its logical conclusion. The children submit to the mom and who's submitting to the dad. It's the way God has organized and arranged for the family to be put together. God has made man head over the wife. There's an example of Christ in the church in our text this morning. As Christ is the head of the church, and the church is subject to Christ, we would agree with that, right? Who do we as the body of Christ submit ourselves to? Christ. Okay? So as the church submits to the husband, Paul says... So the wife should be subject to her husband. Now, you don't, I don't want you to answer this question, okay? Anybody here this morning willing to let Jesus just walk away from us and say, I got nothing to do with you. I'm done. Say, Pastor, don't be ridiculous. None of us would want that. That's, the, that's how strong the bond of a husband and wife is designed to be by God. Should never be a place where a husband or a wife says, I'm done. That doesn't mean it's not going to get tough sometimes. But here's the good news. You have the power and the authority and the help of the triune Godhead to make your marriage work. You don't have to say, I can't do that. It's not possible to stay in this relationship. You know why? Because God is all-powerful. You say, Pastor, you don't know the situation. Can I be very frank and bold with you? It doesn't matter the situation. If you are willing to follow the flow chart. If you're willing to do what God asks you to do. And you know what? We're happy to help. As a church. And it doesn't mean you have to tell all your business to everybody in the church. Okay? But your pastor and your church leadership stand ready to help in whatever ways we can. If there's something that you need help with. We're here to do that. And why do we do that? Well, because this kind of submission demonstrates an obedience to God's will in our lives. Not necessarily easy, but should be the case. Okay, let's move on. The next slide says, the blank of the husband. Well, it's the way of the husband. What's a husband responsible for? 
God doesn't just expect the wives to live in a particular way. He also has a plan for the husbands and how the husbands should live. In fact, Paul commands a husband to love his wife. Now, can I tell you this? If you, th- if you think this is a difficult passage of Scripture, <clears throat> Paul takes verses 22, 23, and 24, and he talks to the wife. How many verses is that? Three. Okay. The next section, verses 25 through 30, Paul is talking to who? Husbands. So he's, he's giving more responsibility. He's outlining more things in, in six verses than he is for the women in three verses. It's just a little observation of the number of words given to the responsibility of each individual. God doesn't expect the wives to, to do all the heavy lifting in this. He puts some responsibility on the men. And you know what? He says, husbands, love your wife. We say, of course I love my wife. That's why I married her. We have a hard time with this word love in some cases. <laughs> we had our deacons retreat this last weekend and we were talking about old TV shows. And somebody said they watched the first episode of The Love Boat. I mean, and I said, you mean The Lust Boat? Because that's what that show was. I mean, I'm surprised my mom let me watch it, but she did because she wanted to watch it. Love and lust are not the same thing. You might have been physically attracted to your wife. Most of you were. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have gone the next step if you didn't know Christ as your Savior. We're not going to need that. But that's probably what drew you to your wife is the way she looked. That is not love. Can, I, can we agree on that? Pastor, I don't agree with you. That's, I'm just telling you, that is not the biblical word for love. Okay, Husbands, love your wife. You see, the wife's submission to the husband, it's something that she has to voluntarily do. She has to be willing to place herself under the authority of her husband. Husbands, you have no option but to love your wife. That's what God says. You love your wife. No choices, no options. You do it. So there's some key aspects to this idea of love. The first one is, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us how to love our wife. And that's good, because we need to understand how we are to love our wife. He says... First of all, in verses 25 through 27, husbands, you love your wife just like Christ loves the church. Wow. If you read that and you understand all that's in that, some might say the women get off pretty easy. Husbands, love your wives just like Christ loves the church. Verse 2 says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You see, Christ gave himself for the church. And he didn't just, in a, in a, in a 
figurative sense, give himself for the church. It was a very literal sense. How did Jesus give himself? On the cross. Is it safe to say that Christ had no more to give of himself than what he gave on the cross? It is. Christ couldn't give anymore. He gave his life on the cross. He died so that we might live. And that death on the cross was a sweet aroma to his heavenly Father. Why did Christ give himself? Well, first of all, he gave him because he wanted to be obedient to his Father. He willingly placed himself under the will of the Father. He submitted. Okay? Secondly, he gave his life so that he might sanctify his bride, the church, you and I, and he might cleanse the church, his bride, his body. And you know, the thing that gets me almost every time, when I go to the book of Hebrews, and I read in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of his... Jesus didn't do this unwillingly. He didn't go kicking and screaming. They didn't have to drag him to the cross. Scripture is very clear that he willingly went to the cross. In fact, it says it was seen by Jesus as a joyful event in his life. I'll be honest, I don't get that. other than the fact that he knew it was the only way to bring people like you and I back into a right relationship with him. And that's what he wanted more than anything else for mankind, his creation, to be reconciled to his father. He went above and beyond for us, joyfully. This idea of love, what kind of love does Christ have for the church? Well, it's the agape love. Jesus gave, and he expected nothing in return. He didn't say, I'll give if you. He just gave. He gave, and he gave, and he he gave till he couldn't give anymore. Remember what Jesus taught about his love and the good shepherd in John chapter 10? Several times he said that he was going to lay down his life. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, if we know, and we do, we've studied a little bit, we know enough about sheep that sheep really don't give anything back. They don't. And they really don't have the capacity to. You rescue a sheep, you lay down your life for the sheep, ten minutes later he may find, you may find him in the same place. You may have to give your life, put your life on the line again. That's just the way they are. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, tells us that Jesus Christ offered himself up to purge our conscience from the dead works so that we would be able to serve the living God. Christ gave. His love required him to do all of those things. Christ's love seeks what is best for us, the church, his partner, if you will. 
Verse 26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. How do we know that God wants what is best for us? Sanctification, cleansing, washing by the water of the word by the by the word. We know that God wants what is best for us when we look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. But don't stop there. Go all the way to verse 32. It's a pretty convincing passage that talks about the fact that God wants what is best for us. Listen to me. Listen as I read what God wants for each one of us. And we know, we are convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt, we know that all things work together for what? For good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Let's keep going on. For whom he foreknew, whether you like it or not, God foreknows all he calls to himself. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. What did he predestine us to? He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? So that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty amazing. Moreover, let me go on, Paul says. Whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. He called us and he justified us. In other words, he declared us righteous in Christ. He allows us to enter into the presence of God Almighty as right in his sight. He justified us. Those he also justified, he glorified. Man, it just keeps getting better. Jesus did all these things for us. Those he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No one can be against us. Not one single entity, heaven or earth or even Satan in his position cannot be against us and and conquer us. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not then also freely give us all things? I think it's pretty clear from the text in Romans that God wants what is best for us. He absolutely does. He saved us and made us part of his family. Can we agree that it doesn't get any better than that? Not at all. It doesn't get any better. Here's another thing, though. <clears throat> Christ's love promotes holiness. Did you catch that in our text? That he might present his body, his bride, that's the church, that's you and I, we're part of that, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. How many of you have bought a new shirt? Now it is your favorite shirt. And you go out in the garage where you know you shouldn't be with your new favorite shirt on. And you brush up against something that is oily, greasy, or in some other way, dirty. Oh, man, I just ruined my shirt. 
And you go to great lengths and great depths to get whatever that spot is out of your shirt. Only to discover it ain't coming out. So that new favorite shirt now becomes a work shirt. And it doesn't hold the esteem that your favorite shirt once held. And eventually, very possibly, it becomes a rag at some point. We can't get the spot out. We can't get the stain out. You go to the store and you buy this and you buy that and this is the best spot remover and it doesn't work. Christ gave himself on the cross, shed his blood so that he can take out our worst stain our worst spot so that when we get to heaven he presents us to his father without spot and without blemish daddy here's my church here it is there's 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 no spot in it there's no wrinkle in it there's no blemish it's to your honor and to your glory man it doesn't get any better god wants you and i to be holy. You say, well, that's only when we're going to get to heaven. Well, you know, he's called us to holiness in the here and now. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Peter says, but as he who called you, we just got done reading that God called us to justify us and sanctify us and to make us holy. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy because I am holy. So Paul is telling his, the husbands here in the book of Ephesians and us husbands who are sitting here today and those who are watching online and those who have ever named the name of Jesus Christ, Paul is calling us husbands to love our wives like Christ loves the church. That's hard. I get it. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't stop trying. That's what we have been called to. And we have at our disposal the power of God at work in our lives. Demonstrate your love for your wife. True love. The love Paul's talking about here is not that emotional-based, sensual kind of love. And I, can I tell you that that's very important in a marriage? That's part of a marriage. God wants that to be true in your marriage. He wants you to have that part of the marriage in your life. That's why he created you the way he did. But that's not what he's talking about in this instance. He wants us to love our wives like Christ loved the church. That means we love without expecting anything else in return. Our love for our spouse must be the kind of love that seeks what is best for her. Paul described that over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you forget what that is, go read that passage. He said, love suffers long, it's kind, it does not envy, does not parade itself, it's not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, and he goes on. It's what it doesn't do. But he says that love does rejoice in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Finally, the love that Paul calls the husbands to is a love that promotes holiness in his wife. 
fact, that love promotes holiness in his whole family. You see, the father, the husband, is the one who demonstrates what holy living should be like in his home. There needs to be a consistent example of obedience to the Lord and to the word of God in the home, and the husbands set the tone for that. They model that, if you will. Let's wrap it up. The husband cares for his wife the same way he cares for his own body. The same way he cares for his own body. This is indeed an interesting phrase. God knew that God knew what he was saying when he inspired Paul to pen these words. He knows that men like to take care of themselves. Men like to treat themselves. Is that not true? Do you disagree with that? Well, you can't, because that's the way we are. We know it. MacArthur says this, here's one of the most poignant and compelling descriptions of the oneness that should characterize Christian marriage. A Christian husband is to care for his wife with the same devotion that he naturally manifests as he cares for himself, even more so since his self-sacrificing love causes him to put her first. There's some things that the husband does. Number one, the husband provides for the needs of his wife. There's basic needs, the need of food, shelter, clothing, etc. But there's other needs as well. There are emotional needs that the husband should have in mind and strive to care for for his wife. As Christ promised to meet our needs, we are to work hard at meeting the needs of our wife. Again, MacArthur makes this comment. He says, when she needs strength, give her strength. When she needs encouragement, give her that. And so with every other thing she may need, just as God supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19, the loving husband seeks to supply all the needs of his wife. You see, the blessed marriage is the marriage in which the husband loves his wife with unlimited caring. Something is basically wrong if she is looked at just as a cook, a housekeeper, an occasional companion, and a sex partner. That's not the way we should see our wives. We should see them as a choice vessel that we will do anything we can to, to protect. Paul goes on and says he nourishes and cherishes her. These are the two responsibilities that refer, reaffirm the husband's duty. What is it that the husband does? He meets her physical needs, and the word nourish means to supply with food, to keep them growing stronger and stronger and stronger. The idea of cherish is that it has the idea of a mother bird gathering her young under her wings to keep them warm. Protection. The word actually means to soften by heat and to keep them warm. Hmm. Keep them warm. We all like to be warm, don't we? Husband's job is to cherish his wife. The word actually means to soften. There's another thought of tender care in this idea of cherishing. One dictionary equated it to the idea of brooding. Brooding. Y'all know what that means, right? Well, there's also the causes for loving this way. Why do we love the same way Christ loves the church? Well, there's the example of Jesus. Guys, our ultimate example of loving our wife is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Paul says that we are able to love our wife, no excuses, we can love our wives because Christ loves the church and he never stops. No matter how many mistakes we make, 
He just keeps on loving. It's encouraging others. We, we love our wives because our loving our wife encourages others to love the same way, to love their wife the way Christ loves the church and the way we love our wife. We can encourage others in the body. We can even encourage unbelievers that way. Why do you love your wife that way? Why do you do so much for your wife? Let me tell you. Let me count the ways. You see, when we're loving our wife the way Paul describes here in verses 25 through 32, it fosters within our wife a willingness to submit to our leadership. It's not a grudging thing anymore. She is willing to say, yes, I want to. Why? Because God knows what he's doing. Why does this summer follow the spring, which follows the winter, which follows the fall? Because that's the way God ordained it. And if it didn't work that way, the life wouldn't cycle through the way it needs to cycle through. We call it Mother Nature. It ain't got nothing to do with Mother Nature. It's all part of God's plan. Why do the tides keep rolling in? It's the response of the, 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 the oceans to the, to the spin of the earth. It has to happen that way. If it ever stops, we're in trouble. Why? Because God designed it that way. God knows what he's doing. When a husband loves his wife the way God says we are to love his wife, she is going to be more likely to submit, to voluntarily place herself under our leadership, under our headship. Notice in verse 33 that Paul restates the responsibilities for both husbands and wives. This time he starts with the husband. He says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular, every one of you sitting here this morning, in particular, so love your wife as you love yourself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's God's plan. It's God's way. If you want to have a worthy walk in your marriage, then you need to have this kind of a walk. At the end of chapter 5, Paul extends the instruction of walking worthy into the realm of the family. We've dealt specifically this morning with the husband and the wife. It's going to, we're going to see that it's extremely important that we realize the worthy walk that we have been called to cannot happen unless our family life is in order. We attended a family conference one, shortly after we got back from South or got to South Africa. Pastor Wayne McAllister, do you remember Wayne? He, he spoke and he taught the class, and, and one of the very first sessions was the priority of the husband-wife relationship. Can I encourage you guys, as much as you love your kids, and that is a good thing, the most important relationship in your home is the relationship that you have with your spouse. And if that's not the case right now, you need to work on that. You need to make your relationship with your spouse number one outside of your relationship with Christ. And if your kids see the importance and the significance of your relationship with your husband or wife, it will set a precedent in their life that will carry them through the rest of their days. The priority of the husband-wife relationship is so very, very important. It is the most important relationship outside of Christ. And Paul reminds us that our relationship between a husband and a wife 
is a reflection of the relationship that we have that, or that exists between Christ and the church. That's how strong, that's how important the wife, the husband-wife relationship is and should be seen in our lives. I know we've talked about a sensitive topic this morning and, I, and it's not my goal to offend you or to make you like me any less than you might already like me now or make me like, you, like, like me anymore. That's not my goal. My goal is to communicate truth from the pages of Scripture so that we can live by those truths. And when we're living by the truth of God's Word, we can expect the blessing of God to be upon our lives. But if we're not living by it, and maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, well, why is things going so wrong in my life? Why does my world seem like it's falling apart? Well, you need to check where you are in these different relationships. See what is, what's going on. And maybe there's some adjustments that need to be made. That's why God gave us his word, right? He wants us to live by it. And, when, and I, I'm going to tell you, again, when we live by the word of God, it doesn't matter what the world says or thinks, life is going to be in a better place for us. No matter what. We want to provide that Christ-like, Christ-honoring atmosphere within our homes. Let's strive to be obedient to God in these areas of our lives. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning after having talked about a very uh, tough subject, maybe in some ways. We ask, Lord, that you'd allow your spirit to work in our hearts and in our lives and help us to live as you have commanded us to live, just this way. In, in this context, in the husband and wife relationship and the family, we'll look at that next week, how the family fits into the worthy walk as well. Lord, bless our day. Keep us safe as we travel home tonight or this afternoon and, and then bring us back out tonight as well to be able to learn more from your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen.